Hello, and welcome to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I'm delighted to have you here with me for another episode of this film and entertainment industry podcast. So I have a lot of things I want to talk about and go over today. My last episode was about a week ago, and it was an emergency podcast on the SAG-AFTRA strike. So I'm going to start today's episode by giving you some updates on the new information I've learned and what information has come out about the strike since it was announced uh, last Thursday, heading into Friday. And I'm going to do another round of rapid-fire one-minute reviews, and then I'm going to dive into Mission Impossible. So a lot of content to go over today, so we're just going to get this started right away with uh, some updates in the SAG after strike. So it's been about a week so far, and both sides are starting to take their shots at each other. The uh, Actors' Union, SAG-AFTRA, put out a statement, their negotiating committee, saying, here's the simple truth. We're up against a system where those in charge are a multi-billion dollar media conglomerates are rewarded for exploiting workers. They'd go on to say the companies are committed to prioritizing the shareholders and Wall Street, and within this statement, they went on to then detail some of the key issues in their negotiations and where things stand. And it appears that things are further apart than some of us ever expected. It's These two sides are not close at all. Um, as I talked about, one of the key issues for the actors was a base wage increase as the streaming has changed the landscape of the film industry they're looking for their base pay to be increased. The union offered an initial increase of 11% to keep up with inflation since their last contract was from 2020. And from there, years two and three would see wage increases of 4% respectively. Um, The studios rejected that and PTP, they countered with 5% raise year one, 4% year two, and 3.5% year three. So already the sides are not looking good on what is arguably one of their easiest issues to solve, which is what should the increase in their base wages be? As I was looking over this statement and this document released by SAG, it became more and more clear how truly far apart these sides are. Um, A lot of the issues the studios rejected out of hand entirely. One such issue, and I'll run through a few of them here, Um, as I mentioned, streaming and residuals. uh, Actors want compensation compensation for the profits studios make on streaming services uh, as a result of residuals dwindling, and the studios rejected that completely. I believe I may have talked about that, but one of the main issues seems to be how background actors are treated. And a lot of the issues and contract points SAG wanted in their new agreement, the studios completely rejected no counteroffer, and those are some that would seem kind of obvious, such as East Coast background ac- actors work under different terms than those on the West Coast. SAG says, let's treat them all equally, equally let's get everyone under the same agreement. The studio said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, some background actors are required to do their own hairstyling and makeup at home. SAG would like to have those actors paid for one and, a half, one and a half hours of work due to the fact that they are working. They're doing their makeup. They're doing the hair. It takes time and it costs money to do that. 
and the studios do not provide any makeup or hairstyling for those background actors. And instead of being paid one and a half hours of labor, the studios offered $35 flat fee. No matter what it is, $35 for your hair and makeup. And these rejections of terms for background actors continued with some that were really surprising, such as um, when background actors, sometimes they are required to do more than just stand in the background. They have to rehearse or perform. They have to serve as photo doubles or even deliver scripted dialogues. The union would like to see them paid either half of what a principal actor or a star actor is paid or paid the full principal rate, depending on what the scope of their work is, when they're doing the same work that a star actor is doing. The union wants them to be paid like it because that's the work they're putting in. Instead, the studio said, we'll offer you $150 flat fee. Or background actors being paid for each episode that they appear in during a single day of filming, the studio said, no, we won't pay you per episode that you appear in for one day of work. It's, it's very interesting to see what the studios are rejecting out of hand and where they're coming from on these negotiations. As I talked about previously, it does seem to be in bad faith. Some in particular, there's three that I found really egregious. Um, one being increased liquid damages, so payments due to an unacceptable trend of the studios paying performers late. In response to this, studios rejected the possibility of increased damages for late payments, but they still admitted the fact that their companies consistently pay performers late. So they admitted what they're doing is wrong, yet they declined any possible recourse for their wrong actions. The union asked for increased penalties when it comes to not providing meal breaks to performers or to not providing sufficient rest days between work. Once again, both those the studio rejected out of hand and did not want to do at all. So it's really interesting here as when you look at this, AMPTP, the studios responded saying that SAG-AFTRA continues to mischaracterize the negotiations with AMPTP and not only does its press release deliberately distort the offers made by the studios and also fails to include proposals offered verbally on July 12th. And while some of that may be true, that maybe the verbal agreements are left out, I found found it very intriguing that the union put out a, I think it was a 12-page press release where they talked about the quote I mentioned earlier, and then they went on to detail in much further detail than I just did every line of their discussion, essentially, even including where there was tentative agreements with the studios. The studios then put out a four-page response basically just saying on a few of the points, you're wrong on this, you're wrong on this. We actually agreed to this. When the union included that in their statement that there's tentative agreements here and there. So as I mentioned, I already support the union, but these two statements, one being 12 pages with tons of detail and one being four pages, basically just amounting to, eh, you're wrong. We didn't say that you're wrong. I'm even more inclined to side with the union and the workers on this front. And it's just that less detailed response that I think really is, for me, a nail in the coffin for the studios. As this strike has unfolded around a week now, we've been seeing tons of picket lines out in front of Netflix, Universal, HBO, Warner Brothers, whatever it may be. Actors are joining the writers that are out there on the picket lines, and a lot of famous celebrities are out there on social media showing their support, whether on the picket lines or at home. 
Sean Gunn, uh, you may know him from Guardians of the Galaxy or Kirk as, as Kirk in Gilmore Girls, was out there on the picket lines criticizing Bob Iger and some of the misguided comments he made in the press last week. Ron Perlman put out a very aggressive statement with how frustrated he is with what some studio executives have said. And Adam Conover has been all over TikTok as he is actively walking the picket lines, appears to be almost every day, and is putting out their message and is explaining their side and explaining how long it's going to take. And it's going to take until the unions get what they want. So it's very intriguing. I do suggest that you go follow Adam Conover on TikTok as his content has been very interesting throughout this entire strike. Um, But once again, it's just the number of flat out rejections from the studio, not even attempting to negotiate on any of these points that's really telling to me i'd like to see the studios meet in the middle that's how negotiation negotiation is supposed to work one side makes an offer on what they want in the contract the other side counters with what they're okay with and the two sides ultimately meet in the middle when you're rejecting things such as sufficient meal breaks completely you're not even attempting to meet in the middle when there is no middle in that it's either you provide sufficient meal breaks or you don't That's when you have a problem with your negotiations, and that's when it's going to drag on further and further. I really hope that the studio changes their tune on things such as this, but it doesn't appear to be that way so far. Outside of the studios, um, these main studios, AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producer, there are tons of independent studios who will be affected by the strike. And as a result, SAG-AFTRA has already given approval to 39 films to continue shooting through the strike because they have confirmed that they are not associated with these major studios at all. Two of the movies come from A24, a studio I absolutely love that has made great movies in the last few years, such as Everything Everywhere All at Once, um, The Whale, Past Lives. So I'm very excited to see that two of their films will get to continue filming One of them stars Anne Hathaway. It's called Mother Mary. Another is Death of Unicorn, starring Paul Rudd and Jenna Ortega. And I think this could be great for independent studios, this strike, as they're able to continue working and able to continue to put their product out there. Some independent films have already finished the work on their movies, and they are working with the union to see if actors can continue to promote those movies. And the lead negotiator for... SAG-AFTRA, Duncan, Crabtree, Ireland, even encouraged participation with these independent films during the strike. And I think that's great news. I think some of our best stories, some of the best movies of the past few years, even though they may be smaller and may not be massive box office successes, have been coming from these independent studios where original stories are getting out there that are not franchise stories. So I really hope to see this trend continue and If the strike goes on, maybe three to four months, we start realizing these independent films are becoming more popular. They're winning weekends at the box office, and it could be a changing point for the industry as a whole, but that's really dependent on how long the strike goes on, I think. So that is the news I have for you today regarding this strike. Um, Updates are going to be slow, I think, for a couple weeks as... It's a stalemate right now. Neither side is wanting to budge a bit. Uh, Neither side is actively hurting as a result of this. I think come 
early really all of August to early September is when you're going to start seeing studios start to feel the hurt as any pre-recorded interviews for movies have been used up. Promotion for their movies is going down. No actors, no writers are supporting the content that's being released in in theaters and no new content's being put on TV as they have nothing ready. That's when you may start to see the studio making some uh, concessions and the actors starting to get what they want. But that could be months away. So I think the strike is going to be in it for a long haul. Once again, I'm fully in support of the union here. I think when you're a union of 160,000 members, there's a lot more people in your union not making millions of dollars on a single movie than there are. So uh, full support to the union and to the people on the pickup line. I will likely touch us on this subject again in future episodes as we get more information and we see what's going on with the strike. So stay tuned for updates on that. All right. As I mentioned, I am also going to be doing a round of rapid fire reviews today. I have four movies. I'm going to do rapid fire one minute reviews for two of them are releases currently in theaters. Two of them are movies I watched at home because if you follow me on Instagram, you have seen lately. I've been posting a lot more about the movies I watch at home And I think some of them you may really like. So I'm going to start including these in my rapid fire one minute reviews. Make sure you follow me on Letterboxd at Sidekick Critic as every single movie I watch, I log it on there. So you can see what I've been watching. You can read my review there and maybe you'll like the movies that I like or maybe you will dislike movies that I dislike or vice versa. We'll have to see. But so we're going to start with a recent release. Here's my one-minute review for Joyride. This was a very, very funny movie. It is, without a doubt, a close second to No Hard Feelings for Funniest Movie of the Year so far. There's one particular sequence about halfway through the film where I was almost doubled over with laughter because it was just absolutely hilarious. And also, this was the third genuine comedy movie I've seen in the past couple months that had way more heart than I expected it to. I was going in just expecting a raunchy, stupid comedy, and instead it provided a great story. And in Joyride in particular, there's one such sequence, a twist in the final third that is absolutely gut-wrenching. A great movie. I think this will do really good for the crowd that likes watching comedy, maybe Saturday night, sitting at home with nothing to do. I don't think it's a must-see in theaters, but I do think this is a comedy a majority of people can enjoy. Joyride, 7.2 out of 10. All right, rolling along, uh, a movie I watched at home recently. My review for But I'm a Cheerleader. Um, I stumbled across this movie because someone mentioned it in their personal watch list of Getting Ready for Barbie, and I was like, Greta Gerwig, Barbie, uh, this movie's going to be something else. I need to be prepared for it. So I checked it out. Um, the movie tells the story of a girl, a cheerleader, that is sent to gay conversion camp by her friends and family. I am not lying when I tell you this is one of the weirdest movies I've watched in a very long time, maybe ever. Uh, it is maybe the definition of an offbeat comedy. It was just so strange, but I did laugh. I don't know that I'd recommend anyone to watch it unless you're just in the mood to kind of scratch your head, but also laugh. Uh, It's all over the place. 
it's something else. I it's hard to even review this movie because it's just so strange. Um, but I'm a cheerleader. That's getting a 5.4 out of 10 for me. I will never watch this movie again. I would not blame you if you never watched it, but it's a movie that's out there. So, all right, let's continue on. Here's my one minute review for Babylon. This is absolutely a movie for movie lovers, and I loved every bit of it. Um, it's it takes some really insane directions and makes some crazy decisions. Damon Chazelle, director of Whiplash and La La Land, uh, built a masterpiece of a movie that is all over the place. If you're a fan of cinema specifically, I think you'll love this. It tells the story of early Hollywood and as it changed from silent movies to what they called talkies. And it follows three of the biggest silent movie stars or people that work in the industry at the time, uh, played by Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, and Diego Calva. Something about this movie really just struck a chord with me. I think it didn't do well at uh, the box office or critically because it's a three-hour film, so it's long. It's kind of inaccessible for most people that don't have a massive interest in the industry like I do. But I will forever be a loyalist to this film from here on out because I it really, like I said, it just struck such a chord with me. Um, there's one particular quote, quote that really stood out, I think, the most. Um, Diego Calva's character was asked, why do you want to work on a movie set? Why do you want to work in movies? And he said, I want to be a part of something bigger, something that lasts, something that means something. And to me, that perfectly sums up working in Hollywood and the movie industry as a whole. It's why I want to do this podcast, be a part of something that lasts, something that's bigger, that means something. Babylon, 9.0 out of 10. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. All right. We've got one more rapid fire review we're going to do today. Another recent release. Here's my review for Past Lives. This is an early contender for top five movie of the year. It is absolutely the most emotional and heartfelt movie I've seen this year, hands down. It's a great depiction of the love we currently have, the love we had earlier in our life, and the crossroads between those two very different types of love. Uh, it features Greta Lee, UTO, John Magaro, with three of the best acting performances I have seen probably all year. I really hope to see all three of them get some recognition come award season. This movie is just so authentic. I think everyone should go watch it in theaters. About half the movie is Korean, so it is subtitled. That doesn't take away from the movie at all. I think it actually adds to it as you're just that much more dialed in. It's part of why I think you should watch it in theaters because it allows you to fully focus on that dialogue during the film. It's, it's really the authenticity. I, it's hard to put into words how much I truly love this movie. 9.2 out of 10 on past lives. Do not miss out on this movie. Watch it in theaters or watch it as soon as it's available at home. All right. That was four rapid fire one minute reviews. We flew through them. And now we're going to dive into a little bit of a longer discussion here. Uh, as always, we start. Here's my one-minute review for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. This movie is one of the premier movies this year for you have to go watch this in theaters. Tom Cruise is the king of action movies. 
He is a bona fide star. He knows how to make a big film that you want to sit in the theater and watch. And this is no different. As always in Mission Impossible, the stunt and set pieces are remarkable. There are new additions to the cast that add so much to the movie as a whole. And looking back on it, I think it's about a week and a half after I have seen it now. I really love this movie. My opinion of it has changed from the moment I walked out of the theater till now. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 getting an 8.0 out of 10 for me. Okay, let's dive in a bit more to some of those aspects I mentioned that brought it to an 8.0 out of 10. First, let me start by saying I walked out of this movie thinking this was maybe a 6.2. I didn't really think I didn't think I enjoyed it that much, but in the time since and reflecting back on Mission Impossible as a whole, this movie was great. The stunt, like I said, stunt and set pieces are incredible. I'm sure most of you have seen some kind of promotion featuring the big bike jump that Tom Cruise does. That's their marketing stunt. And that stunt's incredible, and they really do it justice during the actual movie, despite all the promotion with it. But there's a sequence in the final act of the film that is better and is more heart-pounding and really just sets itself far and above as the best stunt sequence in the whole movie. And talk about the new cast. Three I want to particularly highlight. Haley Atwell, Isai Morales, Pom Clementief. Absolutely stellar addition, additions to the Mission Impossible cast. I love them in this movie. Haley Atwell specifically, I think, was a just such an amazing ad. From the get in the movie, you could feel the chemistry between her and Cruz. Uh, the banter, the humor between them. Uh, it just it pops off the screen. It's fantastic. And Morales and Clementief, great villains. Mission Impossible has a history of really strong villains, and this movie was no different. It's a wild ride. It's an enjoyable ride, and I'm so happy I saw it in theaters. I actually might go see it a second time because of what I mentioned. I walked out of the movie let down and disappointed, but... In the almost two weeks since, my opinion on it has just grown and grown, and I do believe I need to see it a second time just to ensure that I, it is an 8.0 out of 10. Is it deserving of that ranking, or is my initial reaction correct? Um, and it's a fantastic movie, theater movie. It's There's some, like Top Gun Maverick, that you can just tell are meant to be watched on a big screen, and Mission Impossible is absolutely it. I think the movie's going to age really well, especially if Dead Reckoning Part 2 is a big success. I think Part 1 will get a massive boost from that. Uh, yeah, Dead Reckoning Part 1, please go see it in theaters, I would say. Let's dive into the Mission Impossible universe as a whole, because leading up to this movie, I rewatched a bunch of them. Months ago, I'd actually watched, I think, one, two, three, just because I was like, I wasn't positive if I've seen all these. And then as Dead Reckoning started getting closer, and of course, the promotional material started filling up my personal feeds, I was like, okay, I have to watch four, five, six to get ready for the seventh movie and make sure I'm fully caught up. First, let me say you can watch Dead Reckoning Part 1 without really having seen any of the other Mission Impossible movies. It's a great standalone action movie that knows what it's doing. And I think Mission Impossible as a whole might be the best action movie franchise because what it does best, it is 
is it has always known what it is and it has always stayed true to that. When you look at some comparative ones that have a bunch of movies out there like The Fast Saga. The Fast Saga lost its identity at one point or it's been trying to constantly change it in the last four or five movies and it just feels disingenuine. And it's a level of absurdity that I sometimes it's hard to stomach. Or you have the Bond movies. Don't get me wrong, I love the Daniel Craig Bond movies, but I almost I almost feel at times they take themselves a little too seriously. They need to be a little bit more lighthearted in the fact that they are just action spy movies in the end. Mission Impossible, on the other hand, has just the right amount of absurdity. And I think it's a little bit more palatable because Tom Cruise, the star, the super spy, is actually performing his own stunts. So you kind of know this is realistic. If he's underwater for five minutes, there are clips out there of Tom Cruise actually being underwater for five minutes and the directors and stunt coordinators and co-stars saying this was terrifying to be on set for. I don't know how the man does it. So taking itself not too seriously was a really strong point for me as why I'm loving the Mission Impossible movies and not being overly absurd, being semi-realistic. I, you know, I don't like talking about movies being realistic and how that affects how good they are. Mission Impossible and Tom Cruise specifically is able to add to his movies with that aspect. Um, all right. So seven Mission Impossible movies out. It wouldn't be a Mission Impossible pod and recap without ranking my Mission Impossible movies. So here's my rankings for Mission Impossible. Seventh, last place, Mission Impossible 3. I don't know. It's just the most forgettable one to me, and it kind of lost itself a bit. It's not to say it's bad, but my least favorite of them. In sixth place, Mission Impossible 2. Only because I think the other Mission Impossibles are better. I'm not detracting from that movie at all. I just don't think it's as good as the other ones. In fifth place, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol has the iconic Burj Khalifa running along the world's tallest building scene, which is just truly spectacular. It's got a very fun Kremlin sequence early in the movie, introduces us to Jeremy Renner within the Mission Impossible universe. All great things about the movie. Once again, the others are better. Uh, Squarely in the middle at number four, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. Like I said specifically, though, I think this movie could move up in the rankings based on how part two does. In third place, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Uh, a number of great stunt sequences, as always in this movie, such as Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise, hanging off of an airplane as it takes off, or that underwater scene I mentioned where I believe he held, holds his breath and acts underwater for five minutes. Rogue Nation also introduces us to Ilsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson. She's stellar in these movies. Um, if you haven't watched Silo on Apple TV, watch it. She's also great in that. Um, so that's going to be third place for numerous reasons. I thoroughly enjoy Rogue Nation. It's very rewatchable. In second place, Mission Impossible. Uh, the original, the iconic CIA CIA vault scene as he's hanging there. Um, a great villain twist. It's just got this nostalgia to it. Uh Mission Impossible will always be in the top three of ranking because it was the first, I think. 
But at number one for me personally is Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, new additions to the cast, Henry Cavill and Vanessa Kirby are stellar. Henry Cavill specifically is fantastic in this movie. Uh, Sean Harris returning as the villain, Solomon Lane, and the most iconic Mission Impossible villain so far, in my opinion, he is fantastic. And just something about that movie makes it... It is one of my all-time favorite action movies. I absolutely love it. And it will be very hard for Dead Reckoning Part 2 to knock it out of the number one spot. But Mission Impossible Fallout is my favorite of all the Mission Impossible movies so far. And that's my Mission Impossible ranking. So, like I said, this is subject to change. Obviously, I have very, very high hopes for Dead Reckoning Part 2 now. Which does worry me a little bit as you know how I feel about going into movies with certain expectations, but I am excited for it. It's supposed to come out next summer. I don't know if that's going to be possible with the actor strike, but we'll see. Um, and that's pretty much all I have to talk about for Mission Impossible today. Uh, this has been a busy episode. We covered a lot of topics. We, we, I updated you on the SAG AFTRA sag aftra strike and what's going on with that and what new information i have learned uh i will keep my ear to the ground and inform you as i get more information or read more about it and read more press releases like i said i read a 12 page press release from sag aftra so i am very curious to see what else they put out and how the studio responds i gotta say it again i'm in full support of the unions and both SAG-AFTRA and the Writers Guild of America, WGA. I hope they get what they're asking for. It's time the workers are compensated properly for making these studios and these executives and Wall Street so much money. Um, I gave you four one-minute reviews. Rapid Fire through Joyride, But I'm a Cheerleader, Babylon, and Past Lives. Of the four, Past Lives is the best movie I've seen it is truly spectacular. I cannot wait for it to be out at home because I will watch it again. I think you should go watch it in theater because I loved it. Um, and then we talked a bunch about Mission Impossible. I uh, always knew it was going to happen. I'm such a massive fan of these big franchises. Uh, I don't know why. There's just something. They hold something special to me. I love a little continuity. So, yeah, I'm so happy you joined me. Uh, if you are listening on Spotify, but you prefer to listen to your podcast elsewhere, I will tell you I am now on Apple, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and Google as well. You can find the link in my Instagram bio to follow me on any of those. Wherever you get your po podcast, follow, subscribe, like, rate me five stars if you can. Uh, I'm having a blast. I'm trying to get more episodes out, get more content up. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic as I continue to post more clips. And be sure to stay tuned for the next episode of the Sidekick Critic podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and thanks for stopping by.